Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Vancouver Life Real Estate Podcast. Today, we are very excited to be talking with Gurpreet Sohi. He is with the Bank of Montreal Private Wealth Sector in Nesbitt Burns. Uh, he is a chartered financial analyst and a certified financial planner. Uh, his role at BMO Private Wealth is portfolio manager. And uh, hopefully I haven't said everything, but uh, Gurpreet, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. Uh, please uh, tell our, our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role over at BMO Private Wealth. Yeah, no, thanks, Dan and Ryan, for having me here today. Um, over at BMO Private Wealth, really my job is to help individuals and families um, manage their net worth, their financial well, you know, well-being, and really be their um, person they trust and can rely on to get them through this time of you know financial upheaval that we're seeing currently in the marketplace, mm-hmm. but also just as you both know, the marketplace and landscape of financial literacy 101 is Minimal. just a yeah. it's just a noodle soup. Yeah. What letter are you going to get? What does anything mean? That's right. Yeah. And how do you navigate that? So really, people look to me to help them get through the tax code to get through. You know, what does it mean to be a stock or an right. RSP or TFSA or real estate investing? So it's really just to help people um, navigate that. You bring clarity to to investment if. Yeah, for lack of a better term, then. Yeah, I try yeah. my best to really just <laughs> help people out, right? With yeah. those things that are really hard to figure out, and I and most of my clients are physicians or in the healthcare business. And my running joke is always, well, if you ever have sleep insomnia, just read some of my investment <laughs> literature, and it'll help you fall asleep. Fair enough. Um, I find it interesting because um, you know, in, in our line of work. Um, you know, we often get approached by people who, who look for investment and, um, it's interesting. It's investment in both real estate. And then, you know, I, I, we have a client really actually who's, who's, uh, completing on a deal, uh, this week and he doesn't want to buy something. He's thinking about leaving the country and he wants to park money somewhere. And the other day he asked me, he's like, do you know anyone who, you know, do something with the proceeds of this sale? And I was like, I mean, you're not investing it in real estate. I don't, I don't, I can't help you. (laughs) So it's nice to actually meet someone, um, and know that there's, uh, uh, you know, an investment portfolio, I guess that, um, people in real estate can take their money to and either diverge a little bit out of real estate, or like you said, look at stocks, look at other sectors of investment. Um, maybe that's not so predominant with, with just real estate. Right. Um, I think what we're finding too is a lot of our investors are looking for sort of a complete picture, um, a little bit of real estate, a little bit of stock, um, and so on. Right? Yeah. Could you touch on that a little bit? Well, I think, and I think you nailed it there. Where people are looking from a bird's eye view of what fits where, mm-hmm. and I think we're seeing these record low interest rate environments, totally. which are fueling some real estate sectors, for depending sure. on what area and where. And, and same with yeah. the stock market or the bond market is I think people realize that, especially now, and they see it with record low interest rates, that sitting in cash for long periods of time- It's not gonna help. It's not gonna help. Yeah. You're gonna fall behind. Yeah. And I always say short-term cash works 
if you have it for a purpose, you know you're going to go out and buy a car or you're going to go on a trip, hopefully totally. again one day soon. Yeah. Um, but eventually your money needs to go somewhere. Yeah. It needs to be diversified. And real estate is a big component of that. But so is liquid assets like totally. stocks. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because um, the stock market's done some incredible things in the last little while, um, both going up and down. <laughs> yep. And uh, it, it, interestingly, when coronavirus first hit and that drop happened, um, everyone in their partner was saying, Hey, you know, now's this unbridled time to be buying re- or a uh, stock. Um, and I had friends who knew nothing about investing that were buying stock because it was going down that low. That's probably not the way you tell people to think about re- stocks no. or investments, right? No, no not at <laughs> all. Cause I want to be clear. Um, you know, it's not betting, yep. right? It is buying real quality companies at the end of the day. So, for example, I would say use Starbucks. Right? right. A lot of us, my wife and I, we sometimes say, hey, let's get out of Vancouver. Let's go open up a coffee shop on a beach somewhere or a martini Sounds stand. Sounds great. Yeah. The latter but, would be better. Yeah, the martini <laughs> stand on the beach would probably sell yeah. better. Right. Um, but we always talk about, but the amount of sheer effort to go do that, the bricks and mortar, the employees, mm. the being in management. Totally. It's way too much work. You're better off just buying shares in Starbucks or Tim Hortons. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, yeah, the shares are going to go up and down, but that's what you're buying is good quality business. Totally. And I think with smartphones, and it kind of brings you back to early 2000s with the tech bubble and day trading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm seeing that as resurging a, a bit more where you're talking about your friends or anybody I can at the kitchen table is talking about Tesla shares yeah. or Apple. Yeah. And you can't, I can't get away from a conversation about that. <laughs> and those are two companies, but there's over probably 4,000 in North America alone. Wow. And, and I just don't know, really, myself, anything past Tesla or Google or Facebook. <laughs> like, that's just what comes to mind. And I, you know, I, I think long term, maybe some of these blue chip companies, if you will, um, they're probably great buys. But I mean, risking, I don't know, 50000 or $100,000 of, you know, or a lot more um, just because it seems like a good deal seems a little cowboyish to me. And I would much rather understand it a bit more. And maybe there's fundamentals and things that you look at to help educate your, your, your clients, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. I would say the most important part of investing and investing successfully is behavioral finance. Mm. Um, After being in this industry for almost 20 years, I realized that it's people's emotions that get in the way. Interesting. We don't notice that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's a bit different with real estate because real estate is an illiquid asset, relatively speaking. Yes. It doesn't get priced by the minute or by the second. It's not in the headline news each and every night if the Dow Jones drops a thousand points. Correct. But the markets are. And that positivity of investing in equities or stocks, for example, the liquidity, the easy access, the ability to get in and out is also the biggest harm to most, as we call retail investors, day-to-day investors, because they do it usually backwards, right? Interesting. They they wait till there's a high point, euphoria, oh, things only go up. They get in to do the reverse of buy high and sell low, which you find with some people. Yeah. And we we find that a lot here, you know. Right now, for example, we've got a condo market that's softening right now, right? And you've got people that are just flocking and buying houses. Yeah. And they're going up like crazy in value. But but is that where the deal's at long term? I don't know. You know, I mean, there's a deal there for sure. And I think long term, your money's going to be safe. But, you know, is the opportunity to really make a swing 
timing a condo purchase here in the, in the next little bit. You know, we're looking at high supply numbers. You know, we're looking at prices that are softening as an investment um, specialist looking at these kinds of things. Would I would assume you'd be looking at other fundamentals too about that marketplace. But you're, what you're saying is when everybody is running at the building, you should be running away. Well, yeah, I think that's a great example. So just to name drop a few things, which all of us can probably relate to real quick. Cryptocurrency. Yeah. Haven't heard or seen that in a few years. <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin was the thing. The oh, thing. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with yeah, it now. Marijuana stocks. Yeah. Right? Gone. Yeah. Gone. Everybody's got to get into the pre-sale condo market. Nobody's doing it anymore, yeah. right? So <laughs> if you, what do they say? Only dead fish swim with the current, mm. right? So you need to make sure you're ahead of it or at least understand it. Right. And I'm a big believer in business fundamentals and numbers. I don't get caught up in how sexy a company might be or how great the deal sounds. At the end of the day, I always say, if there's a farmer out in the valley who's taking manure for 50 cents a pound that nobody wants and he can sell it for a buck a pound, that's a profit margin Mm. and that's a business I'd rather be in Mm. than something I don't understand or is just overhyped or overvalued. So don't invest in something you don't know anything about or that has a ton of hype around it. Yeah. Because it's dangerous. Yeah, like Warren Buffett always says, only invest in companies you understand. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's amazing too how much, um, and this is on a personal note, we will look at things that we use daily, like let's say Apple, and yet, you know, maybe we haven't invested in it. And yet you're like, why don't I? I use this yeah. every day. You know, yeah. I trust, I believe, I use, totally. I buy every yeah. single, you know, quarter, yeah. whatever it yeah. is. So yeah, it's, uh, it's very true that people really should buy into what they know and trust. Totally. And Apple's a great example. I remember I had a couple of clients right before the share split or the stock split happened about a month ago. Mm texting me and saying, hey, is it a good time to buy? Apple splitting, is the splits happening? And I I had to kind of tell them that if you have a large pizza, whether you cut it in two, four, six, or eight. (laughs) It's still the same. It's still a pizza. Yeah. So so it gets kind of caught up in the headline news. Yes, there are some more investors who can possibly buy Apple at $100 a share instead of 400 Right. But the company, um, it actually corrected after the split. It didn't go to the rocket or to the moon. So... It's always keeping an eye on things like this that are sometimes sound too good to be true. Now, one of the things we often tell our clients, um, and it may be a bit more true in real estate, a lot of first-time buyers will often say, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for the right time to get into the market. Dan and I, we often say, well, that's great. Um, you can wait, but you'll likely miss the right time if you're trying to time it. It's not about timing the market. It's about your time in it. Yep. That really makes the difference. Um, and and when we, we use a simple analogy in 2008. Like if I told you to buy property in 2008, just before the crash, you would have told me I was insane. Well, what am I doing? Especially now, right? But property since then has gone up over 80%. And it's sort of like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I guess what I'm getting at here is when do you know it's a good time to buy and, and, should I be really focusing more about a long-term hold or should I be playing a short-term run? And, and I guess that's a really open-ended question, but if we're talking about behavioral fundamentals for, for somebody who's starting to invest, what would you recommend? I would say really got to focus on the long-term or at least what, what is your time horizon and your objective? Right. If it's to make a quick buck, you got many ways of doing it. Right. Um, and a lot of them, you're not the first one to think about it. Right, so you're right. probably going to get burned. Interesting. And as far, and I think you're right with 
being the time in the market mm. fundamentally just based on inflation totally. population growth yeah and cash needs to go somewhere as we talked about earlier mm-hmm. 20 30 years from now real estate stocks it's all going to be up yeah right absolutely where it's going to be day to day month to month week to week is hard to know yeah right and, and that's very difficult for us too I mean, people often say, well, how long should I hold this piece of real estate for? And it's like, well, I mean, typically you'd want to hold it for five years. It's a really, you know, we see a lot of good outcomes after five years, but when you start trading beneath that, it can get dicey. You know, people get burned because the marketplace is moving. It it does. And I think you always have to know is, okay, if you do get out of this real estate holding or out of this stock holding or out of this whatever investment it is mm-hmm. brick of gold that you bought right, right. your uncle said gold's going to go to the moon you have to know where's the funds going to go next right right so you, you have to have a plan you have to have a plan right and that's it, where you come in yeah <laughs> well i try my best yeah <laughs> Perfect. So pretty much or very similar to the real estate market, you know, the advice really is, is commit to your plan and and have the long-term focus in mind here because that's where you're going to come out above, right? Yeah, exactly. Got it. So, you know, we are talking to a lot of people that are interested in real estate here. So can you share a little bit about how real estate is integrated into your investment platforms? Yeah, no, that's a great question there, Dan. I think real estate, especially in Vancouver, with the valuations we have relative to many other cities across North America or the country, I think real estate is already a pretty big portion of most people's real estate. Uh, I mean, their overall net worth, their financial well-being. So it really becomes a question of how much more do they want to add to that sector or that financial asset class? And for many of my clients, because obviously I'm a wealth management, I do more, I do everything opposite of you. I don't do real estate directly. So clients come to me with bigger um, or ideas about diversification, right? So a lot of my clients will go, I have my principal residence. They might have a secondary or third rental property and they've had good luck with tenants and all of those things that we've talked about. But then they look to me and go, okay, I need to have a different asset class or different investment uh, to complement what how my real estate is done. And if they've been investing in real estate for, as Ryan said, since 2008, mm-hmm. they've done quite well. So they're That's looking good. for another way of diversifying. Yeah, gotcha. So, I mean, a, a bit of a loaded question, but do you have almost a, a sort of overarching rule or premise when you suggest how much of someone's investment portfolio is real estate? Good question. So... If I look at just my portfolios alone through a lens, I would say most of most of the time, real estate or REITs, um, as they're called, or some sort of secondary real estate investment, maybe at most of 10%. Okay. And uh, it might be a little bit on the lighter side relative to maybe other investment managers around North America, but I, I use that as a pretty much built-in bias that most of my clients who do have, like I said, greater Vancouver real estate mm-hmm. with a, such a big portion or net worth uh, relatively, they already have enough waiting usually. And they're already looking for secondary properties or they're helping children buy properties. So there's a lot of real estate on the books. Um, So it's just a way of mitigating some of those holdings. Now, real estate itself is very different, just like different companies are commercial versus residential. Any way you want to slice it, it can be very different. So not all real estate falls under one one umbrella. Of course, yeah, yeah, and important to note as well, for sure. Um, so, okay, if if you're building portfolios that are ten percent ish in real estate, can you share a little bit of what the other ninety percent contains? Yeah, so the other ninety percent would 
also be different sectors or asset classes uh, depending on where, where we could find value or growth or income at any given time. So very much will be different sectors. So most portfolios will be diversified or, and have some component of financials. Now, financials also being usually the banks lending money to Canadians and mortgages is also an indirect play on real estate as well. Real estate is such a big part of the overall economy, especially when we look at just the Canadian landscape, that everybody's going to have some sort of um, tendency to have some interaction with each other or some interplay. So we just got to keep that in mind. So between financials, our technology companies we talked about earlier, uh, the Apples and Teslas of the world, it's just really a diversified landscape, not only by sector, but also by geography. Yeah, well put. Okay. Um, now, I believe you work with uh, RRSP and tax yep. planning as well, right? Is that Does that mean if someone comes to you and says, look, I've got X amount of RRSPs, but maybe they're underperforming, can you make them perform better by moving those funds around? Or, or what are we talking about here? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I really say there's two or three things you can control. One is the amount of fees that you pay for your investments. Okay. So my when I charge my clients a fee for the service that I provide, and really the way I describe my service is when somebody hires me, I'm really there and their family's CFO, right? Okay. Their own chief financial officer. Investments are one component of it, but there's tax planning. Mm-hmm. There's estate planning, insurance planning. There's so many other components to it uh, that I remember having a call, a review with the client, and their portfolio was up, I think, 10% year to date. We won't get into all the dynamics. How, how do you do that during a pandemic? There's ways of doing it, <laughs> yeah, having a positive right. rate of return. Yeah. But I think we I spent maybe five minutes on talking about the investment returns mm-hmm. and most of the time speaking about other topics. Because the way I describe it, and maybe this is some of, I used to teach part-time at uh, BCIT as well uh, in the business school there. The way I always tell my clients is I give them a report card, they grade my report card, and if they don't like it, they can always fire me. And if they like it, they continue to hire me. So it's very transparent that way. So one is the fees that you pay. Mm -hmm. So your other part was about performance, fees, and then the ability to put the best investment solutions together to get the best rate of return possible. So the nice part about working with BMO, BMO Private Wealth, we have our own, an awesome research desk, great capital markets group. But at the end of the day, I'm not tied or beholden to using only BMO investment solutions. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to do whatever I need to. And third, the biggest thing I can control, and just like Ryan and yourself, service. Right. That's it. Relationships. Yeah. It's everything. Yeah, for sure. Great. Well put. Um, do you also work uh, with first-time home buyers and that program? Yeah. So the Canadian government, they've continually tweaked and have changed the first-time home buyers rules through the RRSP. Currently, it's about $35,000 per individual towards a first-time home. If you've been in the real estate market, out of it, and now you're getting back in, it can even be your second home. There's just a waiting period. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's not really just your first-time home. Um, but there is some really, really good tax planning tools, depending on where your tax bracket is, your RSP limit, how to take advantage of the first-time home buyer's plan. And sometimes uh, it makes sense to use RSPs for that and to be ahead of the curve because the key thing is to work with someone like myself or your investment advisor is the monies need to be in the RSP for at least 90 days. So you can't come to your investment advisor or financial planner and go, hey, 
I'm going to buy a house. I need to take advantage of this first time home buyers. I got 30 day close, kind of dump a bunch of money in and take right. it out. Yeah. yeah. You got to give enough uh, lead time on that. That's right. Yeah. Banks always like money to be safe and sound in one place for as long as physically possible before moving it around. Right. Yeah. Well, that, this, the 90 days rule is actually a government rule. Sure. So it's the CRA rule. The funds need to be in an RSP for 90 days. Otherwise, it's not eligible. For right. the first time home buyers plan. Okay, there you go. Very important tip we're getting here. Um, so jumping now, I guess, from your first time home buyers to someone who might be a little bit more advanced, um, the Smith maneuver. Yep. You guys work with that. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what that is and who would benefit from using it? Yeah. So the Smith maneuver allows you to take on debt or a mortgage or a second mortgage or a line of credit any sort of debt offering and be able to write off the interest. So whenever you borrow to invest, whether it's a rental property, a secondary property, or an income generating investment portfolio, you are allowed to write off the interest. So the ones who can take the most advantage of the Smith maneuver is somebody who, let's say, they want to have their investment portfolio, but they also want their real estate holdings but they don't know which one to choose. And they're okay and comfortable with borrowing or leveraging. So often what they'll do is, in an example, instead of cashing out their million dollar stock portfolio and buying just real estate, now they don't have their stock portfolio, they can actually re-borrow those funds back and have both their real estate and the stock portfolio, for example, and then also be able to write off the interest by borrowing. So there's a couple of pieces to it. But at the end of the day, the people that are most comfortable with the Smith maneuver are ones who have are okay carrying debt mm-hmm. and are okay with that leverage and are looking for a tax write-off. Got it. And we're talking essentially about carrying what we call good debt. Yep. Right? This is, this is debt that they are leveraging to make a higher percentage than they're paying. Exactly. So they're yeah, the first, you know, your primary mortgage, Smith Maneuver, this is all what goes into that good debt category for sure. Right. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I know I'm learning a lot today. So so tell me, Gerb, if um, someone wants to work with you to use your services, do they have to be a, a multimillionaire with hundreds of thousands in the bank or, or what kind of uh, group or, or people do you work with? So no, they're, everybody, it's, it's fit and feel. And really, I like working with people who have a similar philosophy. Um, the ones who are patient are looking for sound long-term solutions and not looking for a quick buck. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to be the day, you know, let's turn and burn portfolios or let's make a quick buck overnight and trade this stock in and out. That's not my key demographic. There's a lot of other investment advisors in town that do that. Uh, the ones I work with primarily are going to be the ones that go, GURP, I want to hire you. I know the fees that you pay. Ultimately, I don't know how to navigate the investment landscape, the tax landscape, how this all works with my real estate holdings. But I want to hire you to help me work with that because ultimately I know I need to put my cash to work and have somebody to help me with that. So there's no real threshold. And like I said, part, partly I love educating. I lo- if, nice. if somebody's not a right fit for me, mm-hmm. uh, I know where the right fit would be for them based on their asset size, their personality, and what they're looking for. That's great. So essentially, it's, it's often people who they'll have money, but they don't have time. Yep. Or they don't have the education uh, in the investment space that you do. And they would rather, you know, say, hey, please take this and, and make more of it <laughs> in a yeah. sense, because I don't have time to learn everything that you have gained over your, uh, your what was it, 25, 30 years? About 20 years. 20 yeah, years. Yeah. There you go. That's an immense amount of knowledge in that yeah. space. And I think yourself and Ryan 
I think we all kind of, and this is my mantra, nobody has a bigger vested interest in their finances than that individual themselves, right? Yeah. If they want to do their own realtor work or they want to do their own stock trading, that's mm -hmm. great because at the end of the day, it's their hard-earned money. Sure. But I think ultimately when they know it's not their knowledge base or their landscape or what they should really be, uh, they need help along the way. Right. That's where I go, I'm the guy for that. And I believe in that. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, that's very well said. So if people want to learn more about you, how do they find you? How do they contact you? Yeah. Uh, so my website is gurpsoe, G-U-R-P-S-O-H-I.com or just Google Gurpreet Soe and I'll pop up somewhere on the website or LinkedIn or they <laughs> yeah. can, or really they can just contact yourself and Ryan and you have my contact details and that's easy enough. That's perfect. Well, look, we really appreciate your time today. I think this has been super informative and uh, I know we'll have some of our clients and listeners reach out for sure because uh, I know I want to personally. Perfect. Thanks again. No problem. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.